Shabbat Shalom, everyone. So I think you might agree with me that it's been a nervous couple of weeks here in America. You know, rarely in my experience have I seen so much fear and mistrust in the very air of our country. And in my humble opinion, much of that mistrust comes from a lack of knowledge of one another and fear that the other must always first be considered a threat. But it doesn't have to be that way. I'm not denying that there are bad people in the world with bad intentions. But I have to ask how much of the conflict and resulting tragedy we see is a product of fear without reason. In last week's Parsha, it ended as Israel resumed its march toward the Promised Land. And as they proceeded, they needed to march through the land of the Amorites on their way. So I want you to put up the first slide. Now there are going to be, you know, this is going to be a tricky, this stupid thing doesn't work. Because, yep, nope, battery missing. There you go. It only takes one battery? One battery that doesn't work. That's interesting, there are two battery things. Ah, I got it. Okay, so there's a map of Israel up here. I'm going to try and exp just explain some things to you as I talk about what I'm trying, the point I'm trying to make here. I don't know if you'll be able to see it very well. So it says, uh, so they sent messages to Sihon, the king of the Amorites. Now the Amorites are located there around that circle. All right. Uh, they sent, uh, sent him a message allowing them to pass through their land, asking if they could pass through their land. They promised not to use any of the water or other resources as they made their way through the land. They were headed for the Holy Land. But whether, whether out of fear or hatred or both, Sihon refused to allow the Israelites to pass through peacefully. Rather, he gathered his armies, and he, I got it, and it, and he gathered his armies and he went up against Israel to drive them out of the land. He chose curse instead of blessing. And it resulted in his downfall. The Israelites defeated them and occupied their lands, took over their cities. And so it says in Bamibar, in verses, uh, verse 31 of ver uh, chapter 21, it says, Thus Israel lived in the land of the Amorites. They took an over. All because they wouldn't have a conversation. And then on top of that, the second circle, oh, look, we, have, we got all the circles there. Okay, the second circle, the red one, it says on top of that, Og, the king of Bashan, made war with the Israelites for no reason at all. He just decided they were too close and he fought, fought with them, and they too were defeated. And the parasha ends with Israel encamped on the plains of Moab, opposite Jericho, in a third circle that you see there. So they, they encamped there because it's close to Jericho, and then they could get into Jericho. That was the whole point. So we come now to this week's parasha and the misunderstandings that lead to tragedy. The Pasha opens by saying, Now Balak, let me do that. Now Balak, well, that's small. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that the Israelites had done to the Amorites. In other words, he saw 
all that stuff that happened, you know, and that Israel was uh, defeating all of its enemies. And one can understand, having seen all of that, how Balak, the king of the Moabites, would be fearful of the Israelites. After all, they just defeated all the tribes north of Moab and even occupied their lands. But just as in the case of the Amorites and Og of Bashan, they make, Balak makes no effort to speak to Moses or the other leaders of Israel to determine their motives. Instead, he assumes that the Israelites are his enemies and he prepares to oppose them. His fears are understandable. To someone on the outside, the Israelites appear warlike. They've utterly defeated these other nations, so it's natural to assume they're looking for the same thing now that they're on his doorstep. And it's obvious that he thinks this way because of what he says next. So it says there, So Moab was in great fear because of the people, for they were numerous. And Moab was in dread of the sons of Israel. Moab said to the elders of Midian, Now this horde will lick up all that is around us as the ox licks up the grass of the field. So he made an assumption based on what he thought was true. And you can see from this quote, it wasn't enough that Moab was in fear of the Israelites. They even got their neighbors, the Midianites, involved. I want to show you a map here. And the Midianites are down there. They're a little lower than Moab. You see where Moab is. And the Midianites are even further away. Israelites already went through their lands. They don't need to go there again. But they got Midian. You can see from the quote, it wasn't enough that Moab was in fear of the Israelites. They got their neighbors, the Midianites, involved too. This even though Israel was nowhere near Midian, and Israel had a good relationship with the Midianites up until then. Remember, Jethro, Mo Moses' father-in-law, was a leader among the Midianites. According to tradition, the Moabites went to the Midianites precisely because they knew of Moses, that knew, uh, of Moses for he had spent 40 years with them, you'll recall. He was a shepherd among the Midianites. And so the Midianites told him, and this is a quote from Rashi, right? Is that right? This is Rashi's comment on that. He said, they told him, they told, they told them, in other words, the Midianites told the Moabites, his strength is solely in his mouth. So they, the Midianites, said, we too will come against them with a man whose strength is in his mouth. So they sent for the evil prophet Balaam. Fight fire with fire. They sent for Balaam. So who is this person, Balaam? According to tradition, it says, if you ask, why did God bestow his Shekinah on a wicked Gentile? The answer is, so that the nation should not have an excuse to say, we had, prophet, had we had prophets, we would have repented. So he assigned them a prophet. But they breached the morally accepted barrier. For at first they had refrained from immorality, but then Balaam advised them to offer themselves freely for prostitution, which we'll talk about a little later on. In other words, Balaam, as we all know in the story, wanted to figure out a way to curse 
the Jewish people, not bless them. Of course, God thwarted his plans. But you see, here's what's happened. Instead of trying to negotiate peace with the Israelites to understand what they were looking for, they immediately found someone who embodied their fears. Let's take a closer look at Balaam. At first glance, it appears he will not go against the will of God and curse the Israelites. But really, in the end, it doesn't take much to change his mind. Though time and again God seeks to dissuade him from going, he seems bent on making the journey to curse the Israelites. Why was it, why? Was it just for the money? I don't think so. When they first ask him to go, he says, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not do anything, either small or great, contrary to the command of the Lord my God. And despite this, Balaam looks for a way to go and curse Israel. I mean, despite all of that, he's still willing to figure, you know, give it a try. So it seems that the Moabites have found in Balaam the embodiment of their prejudices and fears. In Jewish tradition, the rabbis try desperately to figure out why Balaam was so insistent. And they determined that Balaam is an anti-Semite. And if you come to my study this afternoon, we're going to go through this, but he, he actually, uh, his, uh, his uh, ancestor is Lavan, the uh, uncle of Jacob, who demonstrated his hatred for Jacob uh, all throughout the episode. And Bilam is a descendant of Lavan, according to the rabbis. And it is his deep-seated anti-Semitic feeling that makes him determined to go and curse the Jewish people. So, despite all of this, he looks for a way to go and curse Israel. It seems that they have there in him the one who embodies their own prejudices and fears. And this is the way of fear. This is what I want to tell you people. This is the way of fear. And in Balaam, fear found, Moab found its voice. And he will rail and curse and hope to defeat Israel. This, rather than seek to know and understand the other. But God will not allow Israel to be cursed. It is God who is blessing Israel, and no prophet bent on evil will prevail against God's people. So we see that despite effort after effort by Balaam to curse Israel, God's blessings and protection cover them. You'd think that after a while, Balak and Balaam would get the gist of this and realize that if God is protecting and blessing Israel in this way, that maybe, just maybe, they should get to understand Israel a little better. That maybe God has a purpose for Israel that they need to appreciate. But their fear and prejudice simply will not allow them to go there. Fear blinds us to the humanity in the other. 
and prevents the possibility that we might just be able to bless and help one another. That's why we have to fight the urge to fear others and why we need to strive to understand one another. Only then will we have real peace. I know I hear those reasonable voices saying, but there are evil people in the world who cannot be reasoned with. What do we do about them? And we've seen so many of them these days. It seems Balan and Balak are two such people, by the way. Despite the blessings he's forced to utter on Israel's behalf, he continues plotting Israel's destruction. So he hits on a plan. If they cannot defeat Israel, then he will force God's hand and have him punish Israel. So with the help of Midian and the Moabites lure Israel into idolatry and immorality, bringing down on them the wrath of God. The way they finally defeat Israel is to make Israel become what they are. And when we turn to the ways of those who hate, when we do the same, when we do and feel the same way as they do, we become them. The very thing we do not want to be. We have seen this scenario played out too many times in recent weeks, and I hope somehow we can stop it. People should not hate people just because they're people. If we have reason to be, have to defend ourselves, okay. And we will look to do something reasonable. But hatred for, sake, for hate's sake is evil. So how can we stop it? What can we do? Maybe we need to stop listening to our own prophets of doom and gloom. Those who demonize others and assume the worst of those who are not like ourselves. Maybe we need to instead to listen to the words of our King and Messiah who told us, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. Do you understand that saying? God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. God's mercy is for all. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The Messiah Yeshua gives us the hard choice. In a scary world, he gives us the hard choice. Where you can't know who the bad guy is and who is not. He gives us the hard choice. But the alternative, brothers and sisters, is to live in fear. I have never seen this country so afraid. 
in all my 22 years. Oh, you're right. <laughs> no, but I, you know, in all seriousness, this is a very serious matter for me. The worst thing in life is to live in fear. One can live in the most desperate circumstances, in poverty, in pain. But to live in fear is the worst of all. And we cannot allow those who would foment fear to prevail in our lives. So we have to take the hard road, the road of love. And if we do, we can count on one thing, and that is the protect, protection of the Lord our God. So let's take that path. Let's take the path of love. Shabbat shalom, everyone. Let's uh, continue with our service. If you'll turn with me to page 78 as we conclude our service this morning. No, I did not. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to bring you up during the ironic benediction. During... So please turn with me to page 78. Why don't we stand and let's bless the master of the universe, the one who is really in control, by the way. I know it's scary. It seems so. But God will prevail in this world. We have his guarantee. And we pr proclaim that guarantee now with Ribbono Shel Olam, page 78 together in the English. Master of the universe, who ordained that it is too small a thing for Israel to be your servant, but said I will also make you a light for the nations that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. As it is written, turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. Through the good news, the nations are heirs together, members together of one body, and sharers together of the promise in Messiah Yeshua. For God has bound all people together in disobedience, that he may have mercy on them all. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who has mercy on all the nations, through Messiah Yeshua. Amen. He is the image of the invisible God, our King, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Yeshua every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Yeshua the Messiah is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, that God may be all in all.
soon see your mighty splendor to remove detestable idolatry from the earth and false gods will be utterly cut off to perfect the universe through the almighty sovereignty. Then all humanity will call upon your name to turn all the earth's wicked toward you. All the world's inhabitants will recognize and know that to you every knee should bend, every tongue should swear. Before you Adonai our God, they will bend every knee and cast themselves down to the glory of your name, they'll render homage, and they will all accept upon themselves the yoke of your kingship, that you may reign over them soon and eternally. For the kingdom is yours, and you will reign for all eternity in glory, as it is written in your Torah. Adonai shall reign for all eternity. And it is said, the Lord will be king over all the world. On that day, the Lord will be one, and God's name will be one. Congregation, we believe in the kingdom of heaven. And here we support that kingdom not only with our prayers and with our service, but with our substance. So come, let's bring our tithes and offerings, giving thanks to the Lord our God. Mm-hmm. 